gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here. How are you all doing? I hope that you are looking after yourself, staying well, being kind to yourself and each other. Well, as I said to you the other day, we are not quite finished with our spooky season series and we have three more episodes to share with you. And next up, we have The Inertia Years by Ambrose Kelly, performed by Paula Nugent. As with all the other episodes, Ambrose will talk a little bit about her inspiration for the inertia years at the end of today's episode. Oh, now what to have for this one? I think if you are a fan of a white wine, maybe a really crisp, dry, cold white wine, or if you're a fan of a red wine, like myself, and definitely dark and fruity um, is the way you want to go. Or you could go with a... Espresso. I keep going to espresso and I don't even drink coffee. So those of you who are coffee drinkers, let me know if I'm picking the right uh, the right one. Um, maybe like a coffee with a brandy or something that feels apt for some reason. Um, you could again do a really dark fruit tea or you could go for a pumpkin spice latte. Or, you know, you can always just have a good old cup of tea. Sit back. Don't get too relaxed. And enjoy. The Inertia Years by Ambrose Kelly It is the end of August, a month engulfed in the bell jar of summer's final warm and airless rainstorms. And I do not feel real. I have always been like this ruled by unsatisfied feelings. Sometimes I think I was born as a ball of aches and itches, a pile of unfounded and unfolding impressions with no set direction or task. I have too many and too little things inside me and don't know where to put them. They are dense and heavy, sad like a body, and I want to throw them off. So, I decide to leave. A distant cousin of mine became ill recently. Some sort of slow, ongoing disease I've never thought to ask too deeply about. A creeping and non-genetic problem. But I want to go anyway. Little ties me here, and I do not feel guilty. I have barely met her, the cousin. A pinprick of a woman in her early forties on my maternal side living somewhere colder than here in the north alone. But my mother cries for hours at the news, like she's been electrocuted from the inside, fizzy and sad. Over tea, I ask her if she'll cry like that for me when I die. She doesn't say anything, but stands up and drops her mug into the sink. Its clatter on the porcelain halves my breath in two. Perhaps it's because we both know the answer. I don't know. Or, more uncomfortably, perhaps she already does an expectation of something worse that I don't fully understand yet. Blinking at nothing, she leaves the kitchen. I try to picture her sibling's face, the cousin. But mother hasn't spoken to her for almost ten years, not since the birthday party. Her exit doesn't bother me, but I feel angry that no one has ever taught me to feel otherwise in these conversations. 
leaving my hometown, a sultry and upset place, a clump of streets so uninspired and strangled by itself. All houses and people seem to melt into the surrounding crags and brown hills. It's not a desperate or confused decision, or even a choice made without thought or severe emotion, but a necessary movement I have kicked away for too long. I have never been able to move properly here, never able to talk or gesticulate in the same way as the people around me. I was born on the floor of this house, their house, and not mine. Tight-walled with too many hallways to count, and have since been choked by sameness and grey fields. Neighbours with babies and pleased expressions I don't understand. Pets that don't let me touch them. There is no use in forcing myself to root somewhere with poison soil. I look through the kitchen window at Mother. She is outside, hanging three red bed sheets to dry in the hot wind. Two parents and a child, bodies swinging quietly. And I have never liked sameness or sitting still with myself. It is hard to look at anything for too long, especially people. They age like dead things and become uglier as the years go on. For a long time, I have met this sameness with a treacly clotting boredom. Something that pushes itself around my body, embalming me from the inside and solidifying my feelings into something untouchable. Now I slide, a wiry small snake, between my body's layers of dry indifference touching each one like a rare stone and always fail to find a discernible middle point. If I think about it too much or too late at night, faces begin to grow in the walls of the house, usually women. Their bodies emerge quickly, dancing and trapped, falling in spirals through and around each other, pointing legs and fingers at odd angles Sometimes, standing on a chair in my bedroom, I stretch up to the ceiling like a prophet asking for God and touch each swirl of papery paint to tell them to climb down, to ask them questions about where I am and what it means. My mother has always watched me do this from a safe distance. Just once, as a child, I feel her pull me off the chair and pass me to my father. Stuck. Distracted easily. Curious, though. She's just surprising. I close my eyes and think of them. Younger and happier. Shimmering like silverfish in the dark. They gulp in the scene. Skewered between my bedroom door and the hallway in confusion. The women are dancing for me today. They follow me from corner to corner uncurling themselves into and out of whichever room I choose to remain still in. I walk into the sitting room, my least favourite room. It is always dark here, even if lights are turned on or candles are lit. And after 20 years of waiting, two decades of pressing my cheek to the pink wallpaper to whisper and gasp through the seams, my women point me in a new direction. This guidance arrives in the form of a different town. 
it spreads itself, flat and unfolded across the broken side table next to the sofa. I look at it like it's an animal and sit down. They're my thing, newspapers. Every day before work, I buy a new copy and read the death notices. A small pocket of grimness hidden in the black sheets. Coffin between holiday adverts and coupons. No one I know has died in a long time. And this particular paper, white and wide in my hands, with an unknown title and foreign price unmatched to this region, isn't even directly local to me. But I read it anyway, as I always do. Bad things may happen if I do not. In a fishing town five miles across from us, a teenager has died falling from his window, drunk. Two weekends before that, a woman in her thirties was mugged and left for dead in a field somewhere, shopping bags still in her hands. I keep them all, the notices. Cancer, SIDS, allergic reactions, car accidents, every single one. Cut out and slid into a small green box under my bed. Mother asked what it was once, and I told her it was the future. She has never asked me again. The women lead me to what I need. I finish reading about Abe Blanchett, sixties, married, father to twins, and turn my eyes to a small notice banded between the passing of a primary school teacher and discounted vouchers for all-natural hairspray. Breeze, guaranteed never to singe or sting with your health in mind. Titled, Idle Point. Four photographs accompany the text, all taken with shy angles and bad cameras, bouncing off each other's dark spots like relics from a vanished myth. Historic Idle Point opens community to new renters and home buyers. The little town with dreams of being big. I've never heard of it and decide to look it up, chewing the name twice across my teeth. I del point. Idle point. Six or so miles away from here, situated at the edge of the fishing town parenting this paper, it is a rejected place. A circle-shaped community, punctuated by waves of bog land and wide-open homes like mouths. I focus on one image and let a large lake stare back at me, sunless. I'm not interested in property or oversized ponds, and wet weather has always made me impatient. But the place holds the same frozen face as its dead-printed neighbours, aware of its sad character, and unbothered by it. I suddenly understand how moths feel around light. It looks bad and strange, but I like it. Idle Point has called me like a ghost, and I would like to answer. And at this time, during the hottest August on record in 12 years, so hot the roads outside have bloated sideways to swallow at the ankles of schoolchildren, escaping feels required. I have hit the ceiling of my boredom. I now swim through the days, flailing and thin, dreaming of other places that smell and feel different. 
my parents. Lost bodies drifting through the glossy first few years of retirement. Look at me increasingly like I am wrong or something to recast into a different shape. Mother stares like a child, wide-eyed and probing. Rude. I want her to ask her questions, all of them, but she never does. Instead, she enters the living room and tells me it's time to eat. I clean the table and set down three green pairs of cutlery. I pick a candle and light it, then look at my parents. My father, who has just arrived home, a businessman with a dry past and present, no true affection for anything, smirks at mother and sets down cold plates of boiled vegetables and saltless chickens. Potatoes oiled in gravy with thick skins. Edible organs. My mother stabs a carrot, and I hold my finger under the candle's hot wax. We try to talk, even though it hurts my feelings. I watch the ladies climb the ceiling above us. Well, you can't just go, darling. How will you manage? I look to my father. My mother mirrors me. I know not to trust him. He is an unreliable man. He chews, then blinks at my mother and speaks. Well, yes, it doesn't make sense. You're not supposed to be alone. Not now. It's better for you here. Nothing out there for you anyway. My parents continue to speak in their private, prickled language. Something tinged with feelings that I do not understand. Mother touches my hand. The veins in her arms are grey and transparent. Engorged roots. Exactly. It doesn't make sense. And eat, please. I think about spitting into her carrots. I see them swimming, white and pearly, across the plate. The wall women cheer me on. They spit from above. Invisible globs falling across the scene like sleet. I pull a strand of hair from a crease in my jumper. Caught. A fish in a net. I'm going. Sorry. Idle point crawls somewhere behind my eyes. I want to touch it. Stroke its back like one of the neighbour's animals. I watch my father chew his food. Sip his beer. I wish we loved each other. He prods a piece of meat at the same time as me. And I wonder what he looked like as a baby. Was he small and soft? Crying and pink? Trapped in blankets? Did he treat his mother well? Did he make her dust? Like men like to do? In my dreams, I will pick him up and swaddle him. Then I will leave him in a room to fuss alone, quiet. Eat, please. My mother pushes a potato onto my plate. I pick a piece of broccoli instead and swallow it with water. Food tastes like dirt, or the salt used for gritting roads in winter. In my spare time, before work or in the evenings, when the fields go black and silent, I think about time or tall buildings, other unsolid things. 
Or what would really happen if I finally stood up? Look at me. Look. And pushed over a chair. Or stuck a fork in my eye. Or smashed one of mother's plant pots against the wall. Chewing feels incompatible to all of that. Sadly biological. Meaningless. The three of us move like shadows around the table. The air is formless as we eat. A pale wash pass over plates and through lungs. The family illness. Mother shuffles her feet. I imagine their funerals. And if I will go. I feel small and unknown. Like when I was little. I have become one of the wall women. Stretching out to wave at nothing. After dinner, I take the newspaper to bed like a child and call the number at the bottom of the article in the morning. It connects to DuPont Mitchell and Sons, Idle Point's only housing agency. And I speak to a tinny woman on the phone. Single? Yes. Any children? Dependents? Small pets are fine, but no big ones. Like horses or anything. She coughs like she means something else. No, none of that. It's just me. All right then, honey. Give me two seconds. I haven't been called anything soft in a while. A radio hums behind her voice, spuming over itself like a river. The show's host says something about an incoming storm across the North Sea. Then the line clicks back on. Does this week work? For you to move, that is. Just been cleaned, in fact. I think about the metal woman in the phone and decide she has long red nails like glass. It works, yes. And you can pay, yes. For three months in one go, if you'd like. I'd saved all summer, then stolen the rest from my grandmother last year. She passed away before realising. I like to imagine she'd understand why I did it. Well... Okay. Over the weekend, it takes us just four more short calls to arrange my lease. We decide on a full three months. A rental. House number 16. Right in front of the dark lake, apparently. And I don't tell anyone I plan on never coming back. On our last call, she asks me if I need anything important for my arrival. I request a local newspaper and she promises to bring me one when we meet. She doesn't ask me why I want it, and I am glad for the first time in a while. Mother takes more washing outside. My father creaks in the room above me. Like a tempest, I pack in three hours on the Sunday night, inching past the scratchy outline of my reflection in the hallway mirror to the car and back until it is full and ripe with my things. I think it is the strangest thing I have ever seen. A wheeled machine for carrying a person's likes and dislikes. My father goes upstairs to sleep early, and I stayed up into their bedroom from the driveway. Their house looks embalmed and angry in the stale light. In the morning, my last and final a patch of passing time trapped in a sunless, warm Monday. Mother says goodbye alone. 
I prefer it this way, and ignore the outline of my father in the garden. We cry uncomfortably, biblically, like lost babies losing toys. And I realise I am finally alone, free to wander. The women stand behind her, waving at me from under the porch. I do not look for them in the rear view mirror. I do not want to see myself here anymore. It begins to rain, cracking the final sore spot of broiling heat, and I climb into the car. It pulls me away, pushing out the final curve of the last familiar road known to me. And I tell the blinding sky, this is the end of my inertia. Hi, um, I'm Ambrose Kelly, an Edinburgh-based writer and artist. My writing focuses a lot on the relationships between illness, self, disease, and outer entities, such as family or places of home, in addition to the female experience of mental illness and gothic visions of the future and past. These are all really strong themes in my short story, The Inertia Years, which sees a nameless narrator make the decision to leave their unsettling, claustrophobic hometown. In being a naturally melancholic person, someone who's quite introspective. Writing really allows me to talk about these themes, themes that are perhaps judged in society through veiled fiction, to create small worlds that aren't afraid of looking at the darker or sadder aspects of the human impulse. If you're enjoying our spooky season series, you can support us by shouting about us on social media, Uh, liking, downloading, reviewing, subscribing to the podcast so that you don't miss a single episode. It really does make a huge difference. And as I say, if you support the work that we do and you feel that you can financially help us at this time, we would be extremely grateful. And you can become a persistent pal or a nasty hero or just donate the price of a cup of tea or coffee to us. Um, And the links for that are in the show notes of today's episode. And as I said um, previously, we have had very generous donations from people to sponsor our coffee mornings which is incredible and if you would like to do that you can stay anonymous or we can absolutely shout about you from the rooftops so please feel free to get in touch and you can do that by emailing us at persistentandnasty at gmail.com and to those of you who already do support us financially a million thank yous you keep us going you keep the advocacy work going you keep the podcast going you keep the coffee mornings going and we are forever grateful to all of you if you can't financially support us at the moment we completely understand um but you can help us in many other ways and one of those ways is by following us on social media sharing about us on social media and just generally being our cheerleaders and you can do that by following us on twitter at persistent nasty instagram at persistent and nasty facebook persistent and nasty you can also follow us on tiktok which is persistent and nasty and you can check out the website www.persistentandnasty.co.uk where you can read some of the incredible blogs that have been written for us by amazing artists and you can also send us a blog to publish on the website please do send us some spooky stories i'd love to read them 
And you can follow Louise and I on social media. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and at Elaine.Stirrett on Instagram. Today's episode was performed by Paula Nugent and edited by Elaine Stirrett.